Good morning. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 11, beginning with verse 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. And our New Testament lesson comes from the second uh, letter from Paul to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this, not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us, so that we might urge Titus that as he had already made a beginning, so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I'm testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, and though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something. Now finish doing it so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of a fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need in order that there may be a fair balance. As it is written, the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. Let us pray. Open our hearts, O Lord, to receive what we need to hear today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord with you this Sunday, this new consecration Sunday. I give thanks to each of you and your new consecration team uh, and for Kevin for inviting me to be with you. Um, today we're going to talk about our relationship with money, which is a subject that most folks would rather avoid um, in the church. I'm not really sure why. Jesus talked about it often. He discussed the topic of money more often than he spoke of faith and prayer combined. Jesus taught in parables, as you know, and 11 of the 40 parables were about money 
or he used money as a way to, to teach us about spiritual truths. A reality about this is that in our fallen humanity, we like to compartmentalize what we believe from what we do. Christ addresses this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, by saying, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's much easier for us to talk in the church about things that make us feel good about ourselves and that don't really affect us. But the truth is, most of us fall short when it comes to our giving. Statistically, most people do not tithe, which means giving a tenth of our income. And for those who do give a tithe, many of us could do more. Jesus uses money as a tool to reveal our true priorities. Our bank statements tell a lot about what's really important to us. So the focus of this stewardship program is for us to ask ourselves the question, what percentage of my income in the, in the coming year is God calling me to set apart? to make holy, and to give to and through the church. We are not asking, what does the church need in order to pay its bills? Stewardship is an indispensable part of being a follower of Jesus Christ. A biblical word, uh, view of stewardship can be defined as utilizing and managing all resources God provides for the glory of God and the betterment of God's creation. We are called to recognize that all that we have and all that we are is a gift from God. In C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, we read, Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or moving your limbs from, movement, from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you would not give him anything that was not already, in a sense, his. In Genesis 1 and 2, we have the creation story. And after creating everything else, God made human beings to take care of it, to be stewards of it. God blessed the seventh day and by consecrating it. The Hebrew word for consecrate is called kadash. Kadash is often translated into sanctify or consecrate to pronounce or to make clean or to dedicate something or someone completely. In this instance, to make it holy. The Hebrew people believe that everything can be separated into only two possible categories. Something or someone is either kadash, which is consecrated, sanctified or holy, or it is shalel, which means profane or common. In the Hebrew language, each letter contains its own meaning, and it gives depth to the word, the overall word that we're looking at. Here are just a very few things that I learned about the letters that make up the word Kadash. God wants, us, wants to see us move to a new place and a new relationship with God. Joshua and the nation of Israel could consecrate or set themselves apart for a time, but would always need to repeat the process because of sin. We have each been consecrated by the blood of Jesus, and now we can freely enter into the holy presence of God. We're no longer separated from God. We've been consecrated, made holy, made Kadash. 
So today we are focusing on making our financial resources holy, or Kadash. In the Gospel of Matthew, we read some parables about the kingdom of heaven with lessons on how we can participate in the kingdom of heaven while we are here now on earth. When we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're invited to participate in God's kingdom work now while we are here on earth. One way of doing this is by giving a portion of our financial blessings back to God, consecrating it making it holy, making it Kadash. Today we're going to reflect on three questions, and throughout this message I would like to invite you into a time of self-reflection. This is not the time to think about what the person sitting on the pew might be thinking or how relevant this is for them. This is a time for us to have self-reflection. The three questions are, one, do I want to be a member of a country club or a church? Two, what does the Bible teach us about giving and generosity? Three, do I view giving to the church as an obligation or an opportunity? So the first question, do I want to be a member of a country club or a church? So David and I, David, my husband, is with me today. They're near the back. But we've never joined a country club. But I can imagine that if we did, we might look for one that offered the kinds of services and amenities that our family might enjoy. We would probably attempt to find one where we could form relationships with people we have things in common. We might look for a club that had a golf course or a swimming pool or tennis courts or a fitness club. I can imagine that we would weigh our desires and our budget and we would decide how much we were willing to pay for the services we hoped we would receive. We'd probably expect some privileges to come along with that, some level of service to be provided to us. So how does this differ with our membership in a church? Do we join a church to serve or to be served? Are we attending a church to be fed? How often do we look around in our local church and criticize the way things are done without rolling up our sleeves to help? How likely are we to get bent out of shape if somebody sits in our pew or parks in our parking space? Does our giving reflect how well our personal preferences are being met? Number two, how does the, what does the Bible teach us about giving and generosity? The Old Testament and New Testament writers talked about giving a lot. Jesus and Paul in particular talked about money a lot. In our Old Testament lesson today, we read from Proverbs, which is a wisdom literature that is filled with numerous short instructions for living an effective life on earth. So here again, these words from the book of Proverbs. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. This passage communicates a principle that is sewn into the fabric of God's world. The more you grasp and hoard, the more you need. You will never have enough. Those who give freely and generously find that they're happier healthier, and experience more blessings. And I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel here, where you give and a certain amount of money is going to come back to you. I'm not talking about you're going to automatically win the lottery. Blessings come in all sorts of forms. The blessing you receive might be more financial resources, or it might be good health, 
or a wonderful life partner or good friends or a loving family and church family or peace and contentment. All sorts of things count as blessings. Sometimes the blessing is simply knowing and feeling the love of Christ in our lives, maybe during some of our most difficult times. Maybe it's receiving grace when we need it most. This simple message tells us that when we give freely out of compunction and out of gratitude, then we receive blessings and our lives become enriched. When we withhold what we give, we suffer want, we are never satisfied, and we never seem to have enough. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we know that Paul was an early Christian missionary and a preacher, and he tra traveled around planting churches. And in his absence, Paul would write letters to the people in the churches um, when, in, in his absence, so between visits, often addressing a particular thing that was going on in the life of that church in a particular time. The church in Corinth contained both converted Jews and Gentiles. Corinth was a prosperous merchant city, and they had a wide, uh, widespread reputation of sexual immorality in that community. And this had affected the church. In the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul was deeply concerned for the spiritual health of the church. So after that first letter, many people rejected his advice. So he followed up by a painful visit to them, and then, we sent, then he sent them this second letter, which we've read this morning. It assured them that he forgave them and that he loved them. After reading the letter, many church members repented of their sin and, and, and embraced the letter's message. Paul's letter to the Corinthians gives us an example to briefly explore how our biblical text contains both timeless rules for us to live by as well as some that needed to be considered in the context in which it was written. For example, in the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul told them that women needed to wear a head covering. I don't see any women today wearing a hat on their head or any other covering. In that context, we, we have to consider the, the rules and mores of the day. And in that context, the, uh, the only women that went around with their heads uncovered were prostitutes. Obviously, that's not the case today. So that was a, a teaching that was relevant for that time. Um, but it, it's obvious that we, we don't take that. But there are other truths that we can glean that are timeless for us. We, never, we don't expect women to wear a head covering. But Paul is challenging believers to see life through the paradox on the cross. Because of the cross and God's spirit, Jesus' followers receive power to live transformed lives. They come equipped to take up the cross, to make it their own. As believers in Christ, we are called to live differently and model the values God desires, including generosity, humility, and weakness. So in this letter, Paul is lifting up the witness of the churches in Macedonia who have given generously in response to the needs in Judea and Jerusalem, who had experienced war, famine, and persecution. Paul was sending Titus to Corinth to collect their bounty. Paul acknowledged that some who gave in the churches of Macedonia were going through a tough time themselves, but they still gave to help others. In spite of their own poverty, they gave out of their little, trusting that God would provide for them and make it up to them. They gave according to their means and even beyond their means because they viewed it as a privilege to share. 
Paul did not command that the Corinthians give. He was testing the genuineness of their love against the earnestness and response of others. He's reminding the Corinthians of the generous act of Jesus who became poor for all our sakes so that by his poverty we might all become rich. Paul is telling these people who converted to Christianity that it's appropriate for them to desire to give. He's challenging them to match their earnestness for God to be matched by the ways that they respond with their financial gifts. Paul is not pressuring them to give in a legalistic way. Paul is not pressuring them to give in a legalistic way. He's encouraging them to give out of their gratitude for the ways that they have been blessed so that their financial gifts, gifts could be a blessing to others. Number three, do I view giving to the church as an obligation or an opportunity? Several months ago, I participated in a retreat where I was learning from a Jewish rabbi and a Benedictine nun. We were reflecting on what we could learn from the faith tradition that raised Jesus. Y'all do realize Jesus was Jewish, right? Um, we were learning about how we can be in, in sync with God as led by the Holy Spirit through our prayer life. As Christians, it's helpful to study the Jewish traditions and faith. And our Rabbi David Horowitz helped us to understand that the laws and commandments were given to Israel that we find in our Old Testament were not meant to be restrictive. They were rules to live by, not to die by. If we follow them, our lives would get better. We don't follow the rules to keep us out of hell. The commandments are there to enhance and give structure to our lives. In the Jewish tradition, giving was a commandment, but the reason for it being commanded was not because it was nice to do. The commandment was given because the, the people you have helped by your giving help you to have a more positive life. The commandments were given as a pattern of how life can be better. Consider the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ. I would like to invite you to consider all of the ways that you and your family have been blessed. Some of us may have lost someone we love recently. We may have received a scary diagnosis. We may have lost a job. But we're all called to consider how we have experienced God's love and grace, even in the midst of our challenges. In Bishop Robert Schnazy's book, Practicing Extravagant Generosity, we read that giving helps us become what God wants us to be. Giving is not merely about the church's need for money, but about the Christian's need to grow in generosity. Generosity is a fruit of the Spirit, a sign of our spiritual growth. God uses our giving to change the world for God's purposes, but God uses our giving also to reconfigure our interior lives and to change us. God wants us to give with joy. So in a few moments, you're going to be invited at the end of service to complete an estimate of giving card. And you're going to be given the opportunity to indicate what percentage of your income you're feeling led to give in the coming year. We'll be called to prayerfully consider this question in response to the grace and blessings that we have received. You're not giving to support the church's budget. The church budget will be created based on what you collectively estimate your giving to be. 
The needs are significant in eastern North Carolina and in this world. We don't have, we don't have a problem with having enough. We have a distribution problem. Everything that we have is a gift from God. Nothing that we have is ours. It is simply a gift from God that we are being asked to be stewards of and to use responsibly. As United Methodists, we offer our prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. There will be other times for us to commit to using our spiritual gifts. But today is our chance to consecrate our financial resources. So again, at the close of this service, you'll be invited to prayerfully consider the invitation. What percentage of your income is God calling you to give in the coming year? And as we go to God in prayer over this, I invite you to consider this out of a heart of gratitude, as a desire to participate in and to further God's kingdom while here on earth. Amen.